former U.S. National Rugby Team captain. Team captain. Head coach and general manager. General manager. Now, the co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Now. Now. Full Contact CEO with Alex Magleby. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining Full Contact CEO today. I'm your host, Alex Magleby. I'm also co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Joining me today is my friend, executive at Interrupted, two-time Emmy Sports nominee, former NFL player, the artist formerly known as Baby Hawk. <laughs> he does everything. <laughs> Triple threat in entertainment. Please welcome Andrew Hawkins. Hawk, thanks for joining today. Thanks for having me, Max. How are, how are things, man? It's good. You know, it's crazy, right? We're in a startup, <laughs> in a sports <laughs> competition, in rugby, in the United States. <laughs> how about that? Yeah, yeah. You got to love it. It's crazy. It's crazy. But again, thank you so much for joining. And you've, you've done everything, you know, like your NFL playing careers, very successful careers, almost like so long forgotten. And take me through, like, what's, what's happened, what's transpired since, what are you doing now? Yeah, so I mean, as you outlined, I'm, I'm, I'm an executive now. I work for um, LeBron James and Maverick Carter's company, the Spring Hill Company. Uh, I've been working there three years since I retired as their director of business development. And, you know, it, outside of that, I, I, I dabble in front of the camera as well as a personality with the NFL network. I do, you know, producing of projects. And, yeah, I, I try to keep my hand in as much as possible, man. I love it. I mean, literally, you are a triple threat because – you know, great uh, charisma on camera. You're well-spoken. You can also analyze, you know, when you're talking about NFL, especially you can analyze NFL football, but you can mm-hmm. also analyze sports media, right? And then you understand the landscape behind that. So definitely, definitely triple threat. I absolutely love that. I appreciate it. We're going to play a little word game, okay? Let's do it. I'm going to name a word, and you just say the first thing that comes to mind. All right. Sweet. Pizza. Favorite. Patriots. Winners. <laughs> Browns Family COVID Sucks <laughs> Columbia Hard Poutine Underrated Empowerment <laughs> Important Your kids Everything Your fitness Not everything <laughs> 2021 Oh man Hopeful Love it. Now, now a real serious question. Now that Cam Newton is with the Pats, are you going to be coming out of retirement? Uh, you know what? I, don't, I, I wouldn't want to put Cam Newton in a bad situation, right? <laughs> I'm hoping he succeeds. So I don't want to ruin uh, his, his rebirth in the NFL by taking my out-of-shape self out there and, you know, basically making it impossible for him to do so. Love it. Yeah. It's going to be fun to watch, see how that competition plays out. It's going to be brilliant. Absolutely. So, speaking of football, you grew up playing Western PA, big football country, went to Toledo. You played both sides of the ball in Toledo? Yep, yep. Receiver and defensive back. Yeah, which is a complete rarity. And then you were set to – would you go with the Lions to first? You were undrafted. What happened after college? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not the biggest guy, five foot seven. My stats weren't incredible by any stretch of the imagination. I didn't have – you know, a lot of interest at the next level. So, you know, much like I'm doing now, I started getting ready for life after football. And, you know, that began as an intern in the scouting department for the Detroit Lions. So, 
you know, once I, you know, tried out for arena teams, CFL teams, NFL, uh, the at the Browns, and nobody bit the hook, it was cast myself into uh, normal life. And, and for me, normal life was, hey, I wanted to work in the sports industry. You know, I knew I had an eye for talent and, uh, you know, the Detroit Lions gave me my start in, in that fashion. And yeah, I was a, an intern there. Um, and actually at that internship, like, you know, scouting the team in training camp is where I'm like, dude, I, I know I can play here. Like, not just play, I feel like I am better than a majority of the wide receivers they have on their roster. And that kind of sparked, you know, that fire back in me to try to make it happen and figure it out. I absolutely love that. Like, you know, it's a great story for our fans, especially our up and coming players, the Free Jacks and then kind of rugby in general. You know, you know, it doesn't always work out. You're not the first round drafts and you keep grinding and you find, the, find other ways to come in. And for you, that was actually looking at the sport from a different angle. You know, for some of our players that may be coaching, but you saw it from, from a scout's angle, like, hold on. Okay, now I know what the standards are. I can actually beat those standards. I've got this. Okay, and then, then off you went. Then where did you go from there? So from, from there, I mean, I went back to coaching uh, wide receivers at Toledo. So I was actually a receiver coach. And in the midst of that, I remember watching on TV, there was a competition um, that gave 12 people off the street their chance to compete for an NFL contract with the Dallas Cowboys. It was a reality show. And I have seen it on ESPN, and I'm like, you know what, I got to try to make this happen. So I've made like 30 audition tapes, and I sent them. I overnighted 10, two-day mail 10, and then regular mail 10, just to hope, hope, hoping they got it. And, you know, from there, they told me I was one of the top 60. They were going to fly out for a, a combine out in California, my first time ever to L.A., and flew out there. Knocked it out of the park, and that's how I got on a reality show, man. From that reality show is actually how I played professional football. Because I didn't win. I should have won, but I was the runner-up. And a CFL team seen me, and they were like, yo, let's give this guy a chance. And I got a, a Canadian Football League contract from it. That's, so that's when you went to Montreal. Before that, that was the Michael Irving thing where you, you did yep. the, the whole Cowboys thing. But, again, just another massive great lesson. Like, you're still working every angle. You're like, all right, if it's a reality TV show for me to get into yeah. uh, the gigs, and that's how I'm going to go about it. I, so it's like, it's, it's like part of my, like, you know, it's, it's, it could be a good thing. It could be a curse at times. But it, I, just the kind of person I am, once I believe in something, I am not going to, you know, throw it away until I've un turn every stone, right? And if there's reality shows, if there's other leagues, if there's anybody in the NFL who has not seen my tape yet and art and has verbally told me, hey, you're not good enough, then there's still a chance in my mind, right? So that was my whole process, man. I'm, I'm just gonna keep working until everybody tells me no, there's still a chance. I absolutely love that. Tell, tell every single person has told me no, Twice. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, are you sure? Okay, cool. Was that when you were on, like, you did some random, like, you know, on um, acting and you were, like, on Ides of March with you? Yeah, I was an extra on Ides of March. It was filming <laughs> in Cincinnati, Ohio. Me and my brother were at a, a coffee shop and somebody, like, walked by as they were walking out and they were like, hey, like, hey, you two want to be in a movie? We we're like, sure, who's in it? They're like, Ryan Gosling and George Clooney. Like, yeah, let me check, please. We're going to go. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that, was, that was my entertainment debut. That's awesome. Ice of March. That's awesome. So who's better looking, George or me? Me. 
<laughs> not even. You, neither one of you register on the hawk scale of good looks. Come on. So you're in Montreal, then you came back, you went to where? The Bengals? Yeah, so I played two seasons in Montreal, won two championships, made my own highlight tape and started sending it out. And I was I was able to get a couple of tryouts and yeah, ended up with the Bengals, who was actually my childhood team. And I grew up rooting for the Bengals because my older brother played there six seasons. He was drafted there. And so that was like a dream come true. Ended up on the practice squad. Somebody got hurt like week three and I didn't think they were going to put me on the active roster, and they did. And first game, I took a catch for 30 yards, and the rest is history, man. That is awesome. So how many years after the, that original draft, when you didn't go draft, mm. when you finally caught your first pass in the NFL? Three years. That's crazy. So three seasons had gone by. And which, which, in what should have been my fourth season in the NFL, I was a rookie. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And then you ended up at the Browns a few years later? Yep, so played well those three years with Cincinnati, and uh, the Browns came and, and got me in free agency and, and gave me a big contract that I never thought was ever even a possibility. My goal was to play one game in the NFL, and here I am getting a big contract. So, yeah, then went over to Cleveland, not far from Cincinnati, and, and played there another three seasons. That's awesome. Ohio love. Did you – that's where you started to try to get into Uninterrupted? Like, how did that transpire? Yeah, so, I mean, just, you know, by, by virtue of my path to the NFL, where football had, for lack of, you know, a better way to describe it, ended for me. So I got to the end of my career before my career even started. Like I told you, I was doing internships. I was, you know, peddling my resume around. I was driving across the Midwest for interviews and all that kind of stuff. So at the time, by the time my NFL career came back around and I finally was able to get my opportunity. I was just super laser focused on, let me make sure I set myself up for when this is over. That was like, if I wasn't on the field, that was all I thought about because I had been there before and I understood how terrible of a feeling that was, you know, feeling like you couldn't control, you know, that, that, that this thing you loved ended before you were ready. So I, I vowed that I would never ha let that happen again. So when I was in, even in Cincinnati, I would do internships in the off season. When I went to Cleveland, because I was in the Cleveland area now, I had to, a, a, a couple of mutual connections to Maverick Carter, and I was trying my best to get in touch with him. Um, and I couldn't do it. It took me like a year to do so. But when I finally did, I'm like, hey, you know, would love to come out and intern for you. And he's like, you know what? This time I was a leading receiver for the Cleveland Browns. He's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I just want to learn the business. I, I'll shadow you for a week. I don't need to be paid. I want to come. I'll get coffee. I'll make copies. You name it. I just want to learn from what you guys are building. Um, and at this time is when I started at Columbia um, for my master's degree. So we kind of just kept chatting. And then, you know, probably another year and a half after that, he was like, hey, if you're serious, come out to L.A. We could use some help. So I picked my family up. Found a short short term spot in LA with to go out there to train and and intern with uninterrupted. So I was doing that in the off seasons. That is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, when I was you know coming up as a player, you know trying to make the national team, making the national team, you plan to like okay. So for those few weeks, I'm going to get paid. What am I going to do to augment training in the off season? So you know, learned how mm -hmm. to be a coach and started a sports analytics company to to make all that work. 
another impressive nugget. When you were what, at the Patriots, you were also finishing up a master's in sports manage- management at Columbia. So you're getting an Ivy League degree on top of everything you've already done. You're in the NFL. Some ways people say you've made it. Now you're going to go further your education, learn mm. about the academic side of things. Walk me through why you decided to do that, and then how was that experience? It, yeah, same thing. It was, you know, I always wanted to go back and get my master's degree. My whole motivation for playing in the NFL, besides the fact that I wanted to prove everyone wrong who said I couldn't do it, um, was, hey, if I can play one game in the NFL, and then when I go out to the sports world or wherever, right, and, and, and to regular life, and I'm applying for a job, if all things are equal between me and another candidate, and on my resume it says, hey, this guy played in the NFL, maybe that'll give me a leg up over the next person who is vying for the same job or position. That was my thought process. So when I was in the NFL, even after years of playing in there and being successful, that didn't change. I was still like, hey, what, what am I doing to make myself more attractive as a member of somebody's workforce or organization? What experience am I, am I gaining for them to say, hey, that, that is a, uh, a benefit to what we're doing as a company. So I always wanted to get my master's degree and I, I always planned to wait till after I was done. And I was like, hey, what, what, why wait? I have a whole off season. I can train and do that. So that's what I started doing. I started flying back and forth from, I was training in Tampa at the time, but I would fly back and forth from Florida to New York every week for classes. And then I did the same thing from Los Angeles uh, the next year. So flying back and forth. And I just knew that I am investing while I'm playing into myself. And I know it's going to pay dividends on the other side. I'd rather do that than going to buy cars or, you know, taking trips or partying and stuff. I'm like, I have a whole entire life to live. Why not use this opportunity where I have the most visibility ever to show everybody what I'm really about? It's awesome. And that's not easy to do. And there's a couple of nuggets in there that you said, you know, one of them, how can I make myself better for somebody's future workforce? Mm-hmm. It's awesome. What did you take out of that master's in sports management? Oh, everything. I mean, the biggest thing that it set me up for was kind of my, my knowledge about digital media and like where things are going because it's shaped not just you know, who I was an executive. It shaped how I viewed things as a player, as a personality. Um, and then even as a talent, even the way that I do my content is all kind of based on the foundation of what I learned at Columbia. And, and you know, the, the kind of micro uh, strategy you need to kind of build fandom in a, in a digital world, right? Soon, this will all be digital. Soon people are going to want, everyone is going to want to feel like they know the person that they're watching constantly. And I just kind of use that. I use that. I changed the rules of how I did broadcasting. I changed the rules of how I talked about sports. I changed the rules and how I talked about myself. And I think that's what, you know, set me up for the position I am now um, in front of the camera. It's, it's, it's brilliant. Where, where is this going, right? So we've just invested a lot of money, time building this you know, great sports organization with how can we best connect with, with, with Gen Z and millennials and how are we going to best connect with our baby boomers? What's the best way for us to, what should we be thinking about as an organization? Is it sports entertainment with an yeah. emphasis on entertainment piece there? I think Gen Z wants to be included in everything, right? They want to feel like community. They want to feel like, you know, they know the strategy. They want to feel like they're growing together. Right. If you even look at people who love music um, the, in the music industry, there are there are musicians and artists who act like they're independent artists, even when they have record deals, because they understand that the Gen Z and this younger generation, they want to feel like they are unearthing an artist. They want to be able to tell their friends, hey, have you heard about, 
you know, this, this singer, she's incredible. Have you heard about this music artist? They're great. And then once they get the record label, once they have the hit, once they have the great album, they can say, hey, I was in on that early, right? And as much as you can do that, even as a sports organization in sports or as a personality or whatever you're building, people want to feel like they're on the ground floor of something because now they're invested. And they understand that, hey, let me tell you about Free Jacks. Yo, this, you got you to gotta get on board with this because it's going to take off. And when it does, they, that feeling of, yes, I, I you know, made you privy to something you had no idea about, this great thing that I got to see early. I feel like that is, if I was to break it down into like just one sentence, that would be it. People want to feel involved, included, and a part of the trajectory of whatever you're doing in, in, in the sports industry. I absolutely love that. We're, we're lucky, you know, there's um, this great history of rugby in New England. Um, mm -hmm. We've had this, this really good group of founding members and, and other fans coming in and they're actually really communicating with us and helping us drive and what, what product are we going to produce and what is this experience going to be and what is the feeling that people are going to have when they're, when they're in our live event experiences? What's the feeling they're going to have when they're on social? Um, we haven't always been able to deliver on that and that's part of our work, how, what, what we resource and what we don't uh, most appropriately. And that's something that we're, we're learning how to do a much better job of, especially in kind of this virtual world, uh, which mm. is, so you were pushing your education throughout. How important is that for young athletes coming up and, you know, folks chasing, you know, even, even startup world and they've kind of kind of gone to a bit of school, but now they're really chasing building a new company. You, while you were doing all of that, you were still kind of trying to do other things on the side. How important is that? for others to try to replicate is it i think it's very important it plays into your personality i'm just by the person who i am i want to do a million things at once right i feel like i can handle it um and if i have you know six free minutes in a day i'm going to pack the six minutes with something that's just who i am as a person and i but i like to maximize and get everything out of a situation that i can right like i want to make sure that i really get my money's worth that I really take advantage of anything, you know, whatever the opportunity is, whether that's my athletic ability, whether that's, you know, my free time, whether that's, you know, my education. So for young athletes or anybody else, like education is the most important part of anything, right? In football, I became a pro at 25 years old. I started playing football at nine, right? So it took me 16 years of essentially amateur practice and training year round, focus, learning, to finally win in that department, you know? So I don't care what you want to do. Athletes who, whatever sport you're playing, you're not going to do this forever. Your body won't allow it. That is just how father time works. And whether you want to continue on in the sports industry, whether you want to be a doctor, whether you want to be anything else, if you want to do it at the highest level, educate yourself. There is such a process of learning because there are people who have been doing this for 16 years. So in a competitive world as an athlete in the world of sports, people should understand to be, to be able to compete, you got to put the same amount of time in, if not more than the next person. So education is huge in every facet um, of the imagination and, and honestly, just human life in general. I absolutely love that. So how, how does that play out? Like, so you did Tomahawk podcast. Mm -hmm. You guys, that's a really successful podcast now. Like what, what's, what's happening with, with all of your podcasts? What have you learned? What can we take away from that? We've now, we'll have three podcast verticals here within this week. Again, it's mm -hmm. part of our strategy to, to share 
the experience you would have in person at our match day festivals outside of that. And okay, we're part of this startup and let's be transparent in what we're learning and what we're feeling as we go through this process. And we've got kind of three verticals. What, what have you learned, you know, through that whole yeah. process? I mean, I, the community thing is, is huge there too, especially, especially there. Um, because you have to convince people that they want to sit down and have a conversation with you. They want to sit at the lunch table you're sitting at while you talk with somebody else, right? Um, so my thing, even with the Tomahawk show, which, you know, we kind of really dug into community where, you know, my co-host Joe Thomas, who was one of the best offensive linemen in NFL history, we played together in Cleveland and we kind of started out saying, hey, we want to be the most accessible podcast that, you know, two athletes have ever created. We want our fans to feel like they know us. We want them to feel like we know them. So when they tweet us, we're tweeting back, right? When they share something, we share back. When, they, when we tell a joke, they're in on the joke. We get on the podcast, someone tells us a joke we liked on Twitter, we're putting it on the podcast. We're not going to say, hey, here's a fan tweet. We're going to say, our, hey, our, 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 our girl Leslie so-and-so said this, and she's completely, you know, we want everyone to feel like, yo, we're at this lunch table together having a conversation. And the other thing was we were, we were adamant about making sure they wanted to hear us talk. You know, even like, because my thing was at the basis, if I can't get a guest, if every guest tells me to screw off and won't come on the show, I have to make sure people still want to listen. So for the first two years, we, I, I would turn guests away. If it was a huge story, huge thing, we would take them in. Otherwise, I'm like, hey, let's, is it very important that people want to just come for us? Because at the basis, this is what we'll have. And we need to, even when the guests come in, we're going to probably be the stars of the interview. Right, we're still going to infuse our personalities into the conversation. It's not a, it's not an interview. It's a conversation that they're joining us, and I think you know, I, I think it's been successful for us because our again, our fans go where we go. You know, when I'm on TV, my fan, our fans at the Tomahawk Show, you know, the fifty thousand plus listeners episode, they'll come watch me on the NFL Network. When I was at ESPN, they would watch me there. They'll watch Joe when he does the Titan Games on NBC, and they'll jump on Twitter, and we're all we'll all joke about it, you know? So I think just building that community is the most important thing when it comes to podcasts. Building the community around you, the person, let's share mm -hmm. the success of this whole thing as we move forward, which is great. Then yep. the population will move where you move. So speaking of, you went into Uninterrupted, which is a company founded on athlete empowerment, correct? Right? Mm -hmm. And so today's modern age, you know, obviously the story of the athlete, there's a, there's a lot more opportunities for athletes to share their stories with the world, but there's probably a lot more white noise. How do athletes manage that? And how do they build their brand, you know, outside of the sport and, and, and in other ways? Yeah, I think, uh, and you know, I, I mean, even the brand of an athlete to me is just you being yourself. You know, I feel like for so long, and even in you talked about kind of sports media in general, there's been a real, like a, a particular formula. Right. Like, so if I'm hosting a show or if I'm an analyst on the NFL network or ESPN, I have to speak in a certain way. I have to talk a certain way. I have to do this thing. And there's certain rules and there's a rule book. And, you know, what I've done with my content is I've kind of done away with it. How I'm going to talk about it is how I want to talk about it. And my goal is that when someone watches NFL network or watches ESPN, they're going to say, man, I love Hawk and not man. I love when a former player is talking about football because then the next best former player is going to take my job. But if I can talk about it the way I talk about it and make the jokes I want to make and be sarcastic and give the insight that I feel like I want to give the way I want to do it. And someone says, yo, I like the way he says that they're going to follow me wherever. 
Um, and I, I think just athletes in general and their brand is, is, is showcasing who they really are as people, what they really do in everyday life, and giving people the opportunity to make the decision of whether or not they want to follow that person or not. Um, to the athlete empowerment point about, you know, athletes telling their own story, I just think it's another important uh, addition to the media mix that fans get, you know, because there is the journalistic approach to things. There is, you know, the publications take on something. And then there's the athletes take, which I always feel like should be the most transparent because it's the most raw. It's right from the source. And in the, in the world we're in now, in the, in the age of access, people have an appetite for authenticity. They don't want BS, especially Gen Z. They don't want it sugar-coated. They don't want it, you know, mixed and chopped and screwed in a way that, it, that it's not the real thing. And once you give people the, uh, the appetite for authenticity, it's hard to take, take it to the other end. And I think what it does is it changes everything. Even the way that publications now talk about stories, they're being more authentic now. They're giving it to you a lot more raw than they used to give it to you 15 years ago. Um, so I think it's just kind of the, the, the age that we're in that people are like, hey, man, just don't give me any BS. I just want to know what happened so I can make the decision for myself. I absolutely love that. And the, the authenticity is, is such, a, such an important part. Is there a line that gets drawn there? Like at some point, is it too much? Is it, and how do you understand that? So it's kind of like, you know, like where does that happen? Because you're saying in, in some capacities, it's like, well, just be yourself and mm -hmm. people come to that. But another step to that is you didn't just turn on the mic and you know, your, your charisma just didn't come out. Right. I imagine you yeah. really hard at your craft knowing yeah. you. Right. So kind of there's two, two sides to that. Is there a line that's drawn at some point on sharing and authenticity, right. Where it's kind of, you got to turn off the, turn off the camera and mm. you know, how do you prepare yourself to be the best you um, that, that, that you can share with your community? Yeah, so to to the line part, yeah, there's there's a line where I, I'm I'm not you know obviously living the Truman Show where I have reality TV cameras in my house, twenty four seven, right? There's there's a lot of things that I want to keep private. There's a lot of things that, you know, I, I at this point especially I don't I talk about what I want to talk about, right? Like that's my line is I'm not going to force anybody else to make me, you know, have opinion about something I don't feel like thinking about today. You know, like that's, that's just how I approach it, you know, because I have to kind of keep sanity. I have to, you know, every, too much is, is still too much, you know? Um, so I do have that line. And then when you talk about the reps, that's, that's it. That's it. Like early on, I was making, you know, videos that I'm making now that do extremely well and that have, are creating opportunities for me that I never thought were possible. I've been doing for three years. I would do them and they would get, you know, 50 views. Right. But those reps of doing it and just getting better and better and better. I, it was like, it's like tackle football. Like we can practice all day, you know, for six hours a day playing football with no tackling. But when you get in the game, there's only one way to get used to tackling or getting used to getting hit. And that's by getting hit. Right. Like media is the same way. I can practice all day. The only way I'll get used to speaking in front of people and showing people my work is by speaking in front of people and showing people my work. And then I can figure out what's best to do from there. So I just started putting it out and as many reps as possible. And, you know, I wish I would do a better job on my social media at sharing everything, but I don't. And I do that by design because, you know, I'm working constantly. But if you just follow me on social media, you might say, oh, he does this thing and that thing. 
Well, it's because I'm, I'm using those other 100 days of work and media and video and shows to get better and better and better and better. That way, every time you see me, it feels like, oh, this guy is a natural. No, I'm not a natural. I'm just doing it a million times and not showing you every time, every show that I'm on, every interview that I do, every podcast that I do. But each one of those reps is super vital to me getting better at my craft. That's awesome. And then, like you're talking about some of those vignettes like you did with, um, uh, with, with the Jordan documentary. Some yep. of the- those are those are hilarious those are amazing (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate that i appreciate it yeah absolutely completely love that um so you know six seven years ago you wore the t-shirt right justice for Mm -hmm. Jameer rice right Mm -hmm. and at the time you know i think you think you're in cleveland um if i remember correctly one of the police groups or the police unions you know demanded an apology and kind of having to navigate that i was like well wait a minute this is not i'm not this is not, I'm not against the police in this, in this regard. This is justice yeah. for, um, you know, a young boy who was shot innocently, mm-hmm. right? That was a long time ago, right? In our lifespan. And we're seeing kind of that same thing coming through again, right? And, and hopefully this yep. time the response, I guess it's, it's more of a question. Has the response been different? Have you felt it's been different? And then the follow-up for me is, okay, so we've started this sports organization. It's a global game. We've got 11 different countries represented. All of our players are domestic, totally socioeconomically diverse. Rugby is one of those great things where we can welcome people in from all over. How do we make sure that we're managing that dialogue and giving people an opportunity to have their say and, and helping to move that dialogue forward? So I guess there's two points to that. Yeah, I, I, I think just as humans, we kind of all have a responsibility to make things better, right? I just... And if, if, if your players who, again, to, your, to my point earlier about the 16 years, when I got that moment, you know, I wasn't trying to obviously divide a country. I wasn't trying to put my team or my organizations in a certain place. I didn't view it that way. I still don't. This is a platform that, you know, me sleeping on couches, me working as a coach, me working as a scout, me being told what I couldn't do, driving across the country, doing reality shows, moving to another country. This is a platform that I've earned. I'm going to do with my platform that I earned through hell and high water with what I want to do with it. What I wanted to do with my platform was to amplify a story that I felt like needed amplification of a 12 year old boy that I could see my son in that situation. I could see myself and that broke my heart. And just, again, my, I felt like my role with the voice in the platform I earned was best served if I gave it to someone who no one would listen to. Um, so I think as organizations now, obviously fast forward seven years, if I did that same thing today, you know, it would probably get 70 tweets and people would move on. Right. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> that's how this, that's how this thing works. Um, so organizations now, it's like you got to understand that for a lot of the people that are either a part of your organization or whatever, um, that there is a real life connected to that, right? Like the world I come from is the motivation I had by even forging through all the, the obstacles to even get to the league. So I can't disconnect myself from a lot of those issues. And you are, if you're a diverse you know, league and people coming from different countries and social economical backgrounds, You have to just dig into what your players are passionate about and give them the opportunity to A, voice their opinion or give them the resources and pipeline to say, hey, what are you passionate about? How can we help this? It's the same thing we talked about like fans. It's like people want to be seen, people want to be heard, people want to feel like they're a part of something and not, yeah, what you care about, we don't care about. We care about what we care about and that's all that matters. You're not going to get the best out of anybody with that approach. Um, 
so it, yeah, it's just showing your, your, your team and your, your kind of players and the people that are part of your organization that we're all in this together. Yeah, giving them opportunity to voice there, to have a voice. Yeah. Counter arguments to that voice and making sure everybody gets a chance to, to dialogue about that. And I think mm-hmm. such a missing piece is the dialogue piece. We're, we're really yes. missing that. Um, and obviously the educational backfill. We've, we've failed as a country to, to do the proper education based on 100 years of awfulness with slavery and Jim Crow and everything. Mm-hmm. But then today, now, making sure that we're providing dialogue in a healthy environment where people's voices can be heard, but, you know, there's going to be competing dialogue and, and competing thoughts and just making sure that we can we can converse about it and, and, and find a way yeah. which is Because the dialogue is the education, you know? Like, it, you know, the reason why I wore the T-shirt was because I understood that there was a, a ton of NFL fans who would have never, it would have never been on the radar if I didn't wear the t-shirt and speak about it, right? Because in their neighborhood, there might not be anybody that comes from a community that I've come from, right? Like that is it, like Joe Thomas, my co-host talks about, he didn't know, he didn't have any friends who were black people until he got to college, you know? Like, so this is, this is a real thing and that's an education. It's just that dialogue of saying, hey, here's my experiences in life. What are your experiences in life? And understanding, oh, okay, I get that our experiences in this country about different topics are completely two different POVs and using that, taking as much of that information as possible to help shape yourself for the better. It's the same thing on the education piece I talked about. If you've never been in that world, if you don't come from that, if you've never been exposed to that, if no one ever told you about their experiences, how could you know and speak as if you're an expert on something that you haven't spent the time to learn or at least have a dialogue about? I really love that. And I think there's so many good nuggets that are coming out of this. Going back to like, you know, don't take no for an answer. Find 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 somebody else who will say yes. It was really important. But it's really compelling. Kind of your story as an executive and how you've gotten to where you've gotten to is uh, um, you've you've been brave because you've been vulnerable. You've put yourself in positions where you've had to kind of you've been out there, right? Yep. Like walking out of a stadium in front of whatever sixty thousand people on national t- television at the time wearing a potentially controversial T-shirt. That, that takes bravery that takes some sense of vulnerability and it's also putting yourself in front of a camera and yeah there may only be three people the first day but you know where you are today there's a massive following that are connected to hawk right and there's a vulnerability to that that sometimes as executives and leaders we don't allow ourselves or as we're coming up through that pipeline we don't really allow ourselves and i think just an impressive part about your journey is you continue to find ways to challenge yourself and actually be vulnerable which is uh, really really impressive COVID, what's, what should sports be doing? What's going to happen? Man, if I had <laughs> another one of those topics, I don't have an answer to. Um, yeah, it's been up in the air, man. I, I have no idea. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I wish I had the answer to it. I mean, I'm, you know, just as kind of nervous or wondering what's going on like everybody else. Because, I mean, I want football. I want basketball. I want baseball. I want rugby. I want to. You know, I feel like these are um, necessary distractions for our society. And I feel like even, you know, prior to all this taking place, I don't think people realize how important sports were to their everyday lives, you know, and, and being able to get away from, you know, some of the realities of things going on in your regular life to say, okay, let me spend an hour to cheer on this team. Let me spend two hours to be vested in whether this team gets as much first downs as possible. Um, and now that those are gone, you know, again, I mean, it, it gave us something to talk about that, you understand when things like COVID happen in the grand scheme, they don't matter, but they do matter, you know? Um, so I don't, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I, th- I think that the NFL, the NFL players are going to do everything they can to try to make this, the, the season work. 
Um, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to act like I am. I'm not going to act like I can predict what's going to happen or, or what the best thing is. I mean, for me, it's always keeping people safe. You know, I, I mean, I, I played football my entire life. Everything that I have is from football and I am so appreciative of it. And the people that, you know, play it and, and put it on, I, I, I would just hate for anything, you know, for people to have to suffer um, on the backs of the game of football, you know, and yeah. that's, that's, that's the scary part for me. Right. And as we're planning our 2021 season and even our academy programs and everything, mm-hmm. safety is, is number one. I think, you know, kind of what the NFL has, it has such a great uh, entertainment piece that, that, that TV digital and, and digital component is so key and important to that business. Yes. It's awesome to see fans in the stands and that's part of that whole energy, but you take those fans out. I think it still has a really compelling product TV product mm-hmm. Or probably with where we are with rugby, it's right now we're at that, we'll come experience it live in person because that's the most special part of it. Come be a part of this great celebratory um, event. And not having that piece is the big challenge for us and how we manage making this an even better product for TV. Obviously, it's a big ball. You can see their faces, looking people, a lot of the components of traditional American sports being played out. But perhaps there's an education component missing because people go watch rugby and it's like, I'm just getting lost. I don't know what's happening. So that's we've got some work to do if that's going to be our our short-term future, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, merchandise you played a part of this you've seen kind of like athlete merchandise and everything else how should we be thinking about that as a business you know right now we're about to announce certain players there's going to be bespoke merchandise for each of those players as we grow it but what what should we be focusing on how how important are consumer products to once we're creating brands and, and making sure that's a part of the business model I think it's very important uh again because fans want to be vested in it they want to they want to wear whatever whatever it is you're representing with pride and we're back in the day, it was, hey, what is the, 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 the technical capabilities of what I'm wearing, right? Is this a great, what's the fabric like? What is the, how are the shoes? Do my feet feel good? And that's still important. Uh, but I think now people like the messaging. They wanna, they wanna represent something, right? So whatever Free Jacks represents as an organization, they wanna have pride in that for people to see it and say, oh, either ask about it or know what it is and say, oh, okay, I know what you're about. That's what I've seen uninterrupted is that you know, even when we do our, 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 our apparel, the things that do best are our apparel with a certain messaging on it, right? The more than an athlete messaging, it's not about how it looks all the time. It's not about like, oh, is this the best looking shirt I've ever seen? No, it's the message that people connect with that someone can be more than what other, the limitations others are putting on them. And those become our, our highest selling pieces. And, you know, we try to look for opportunities to even give stuff away because we want people to be vested in that way. And that's how we kind of look at, you know, the brands and, 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 and the collabs that we do with other companies or, or brands that are, you know, have their own message or, or their own kind of feel that they give their fans, you know, that we can kind of expand our, our network of customers and followers to another place to say, Oh, okay, what are you about? Here's what the company I love is about. Now you guys come together and, you know, now we might love both companies, but we're buying two t-shirts instead of one. I absolutely love that. And like, yeah, and for us, like, so free jacks, you know, humble, hardworking, have fun, celebrate the hard work together. Right. That's really important to what we're about, but yeah, kind of doing the collabs and building that out, I think is a really important piece to our continued growth. Absolutely. You look like a bar stool, right? Where um, the stars of the shows and everything else, but I would be very curious what their model is, but it seems like they have a very robust consumer products piece as part of that feeling that you're talking about. Exactly. 
another quick one I had for you on Hair Love. You were an executive producer. Mm-hmm. Executive Cal- producer of Hair Love. Yep. And that was, you guys won an Academy Award. Won an Academy Award for Best Animated Short. It was awesome. I, I saw it the other day and I was in tears. It was, it was absolutely amazing. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate it. It was a long time coming. That, that was a three and a half year process. Really? Worth it. Yeah, yeah, but three and a half years from when we started to when we won the award. Short form animation. How is that how does that business model work or is it purely an art? Like what's how does that Yeah, a lot of times it's purely an art, right? And and, and that's why it's important with, with those to have again messaging, right? Which is just to the point we've talked about is something very important to me is I remember getting the script for it and it's a script with no words and I was in tears just reading the script and it's like, yo, this is gonna be beautiful so if we can pull off the animation piece which is expensive you know which is hard to justify when there's not a lot of money or guarantee of money on the other side um i'm like this could win an academy award and i honestly i believe that i've i said it to people as soon as i i had it and they, they called me crazy and you know kudos to matt cherry was another former athlete uh who was just championing this story he was able to put this together and kind of quarterback this thing in such a masterful way you know, that it, it kind of left no doubt. And yeah, now, I mean, it's one of the very rare cases where a short, you know, animation story is a lucrative thing, right? Like you get the brands involved, you get TV shows out of it and feature length and, and best-selling books. And you kind of create this movement of so many different stories in the one that it's, you walk away with just a better feeling than when you started. And that's hard to do in art. And yeah, it, it was a crazy process. Yeah, so as a husband, as a father, it just really, it, it hit me hard. I would just encourage everybody to go watch that. It's, fa- it's fantastic. Yeah, and I heard it's Thank you. an animated series maybe or something. Yep, yep. Really- Young Love, animated series. That's awesome. So, Hawk, you've kind of done it all. You've seen it from all angles. What is next for you? I think just doing more cool stuff, man. I mean, I've kind of let that be my guiding light. You know, I, I played my one game in the NFL, which was my life's goal, and then I was like, hmm, well, what should I do next? And it was just more and more the same so you know i'm getting into more movies and, and features and you know i might try my hand at acting i'm going to be hosting a lot more on network television so you can look out for that um yeah developing my own projects just you know under my own uh my own name and hopefully there'll be more and more cool stuff there and you know i try to use all of this stuff just to help other people man so i'm hopeful i'm hoping to you know build some some charity stuff, some foundation stuff, 501c3s. And, and I'm hoping as I get more opportunities, they could just, you know, be a, be a tool for me to, to give opportunities to other people. That's, that's really what I'm passionate about. I love that. Where's, where's home now? Are you in LA? Are you back? In I'm in Los Angeles. I'm in yeah. Los Angeles. Yep. You're like the family, everybody's in LA then? Family's in LA. We've, we've been here for two years now. So Living is a little different than Ohio, but tons of opportunity in the land of Hollywood. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I got some rapid-fire questions for you. Let's do it. If you could redo your life, what is the biggest thing you would change? Man, I don't know if I would change anything. I would, when we first connected, I, I, I would have put, I would have probably left the NFL in that year to train for the 2016 Olympics. Oh, he would have been fantastic. That's my biggest, that's one of my biggest, if not one of my only regrets in my athletic career. Because I, I, I genuinely feel like I could have done it. I, I made the steps towards it. And the more I seen, I'm like, I just couldn't get myself to disconnect from the team. But if I can go back, I definitely would do that. Yeah, certainly the speed, the ball movement, but the intelligence to read the game. But beyond that, the work ethic, right? And I think that's mm-hmm. a hard part. There's a lot of great athletes that come and go and, and try yep. to 
in rugby, particularly rugby sevens, but like a lot of cross, like a lot of crossovers have done that, and very few have been successful. When you look at a guy like Carlin Isles, yep, he's, yep. he's grinded, you know, like another Ohio native. Like, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah he's, so he's, but he's found a way to continue to grind and also build his brand. That's a great story. Uh, Jeannie grants you one wish. You can't ask for any more. What is it? I would try to, you know, heal one of the, the plights, you know, facing people who don't have anything. So whether that's homelessness, whether that's feed everybody in the world, like that's what I would use my one wish for. I don't have anything else that I, I want. I'm good, man. I've, I've been blessed beyond measure. And yeah, that would be my one wish. I love that. Tomahawk, you got the show you guys are doing, the, the podcast. You guys are raising some money, right? What's that for right now? Yeah, so we raised some money in uh, the beginning of COVID. It was like, hey, how can we make a difference? We made our donations. We, we donated $50,000 and, you know, we called on our audience to, hey, help us raise. They raised another, what, 50000 more. And then a couple of other organizations seen that and they put, a, you know, 150 grand of their own. So we were able to raise $250,000 for, you know, in food insecure kids during COVID who weren't going to school and they relied on those school meals to eat. Um, so, I mean, those situations of like, you know, that alone makes anything I do with the Tomahawk show worth it because those fans and, you know, being able to make a difference for other people, not just say, hey, we're giving our stuff, but it's, they were like, hey, let, we want to do our part. And other people seen it and motivated. That's the blessing of having a platform that, you know, you know people feel vested into what you do. It made change really good. I absolutely love that. Last one, that's what I asked everybody. If you're running the Free Jacks today, just kind of the, the business of the Free Jacks, what are you focusing on? Community, simple as that. I mean, I wanna, I wanna make sure my messaging is clear of what we're about. Um, and to your point, rugby in general, specifically into the Free Jacks, is it has to be about the hard work, the you know, the betterment of the organization, of the people, of the game, of the sport. The you know, hey, let's all put our our resources in to build a great environment for everybody. Like that's that's what I would I would hone in on for everyone. And I think you know, people will see that and say, man, I want to be a part of it. That's awesome. And then the tough part about that is not only defining what that means, but then being able to action those and communicate. The communication part is probably where yes. a lot of us break down and fail and that piece. A lot of good things happen, but we don't necessarily share that and allow other people to communicate with. It's more of a yep. communicate at, and that's a big work on as, as we continue to evolve as an organization. Absolutely. Um, so great to see you. Thanks for joining. Likewise, Mags. I appreciate you having me, man. In the next episode, I have the great pleasure of speaking with good friend Connor Brooks, professional scout for the New York Mets. It's an action-packed episode with fastballs and the COVID curveball for the MLB. We talk about scouting and recruiting the best players at the professional level, much like recruiting and building the best team in business. Relationships are key, knowing the players beyond who they are on the pitch and how important this is to building culture. Join us for an insider's take on professional baseball and the unique challenges the big league is facing. It's a must, 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 must listen episode.